This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you uh, once again on this Saturday morning for what is our 39th consecutive program dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, uh, it's hopeful. I mean, we're really hoping we're getting into the final phase of this, but it's the final push. There's still plenty of phases left. There's still plenty of work to do. The stats tell us that when we look at those statistics, there are now over three hundred and twelve thousand dead Americans from this virus. Just this past Wednesday, we hit a new daily record of three thousand six hundred and forty six deaths in this country just from this virus this week we had 17,000 deaths so these numbers keep going up fortunately in Connecticut we've been able to hold steady with a positivity rate of between six and seven percent so we're optimistic because there's a vaccine available but there's still much work to be done and uh, it's it's important for us to really grasp the large piece of this. So um, I want to let everybody know that I went ahead and got the vaccine on Wednesday. It was offered to me uh, where I work at the University of Connecticut. And a lot of people have questions. First of all, the question is, how do you feel? And I feel great. And I've had no ill effects from uh, the injection, from the vaccine, Uh, maybe a little bit Uh, of soreness in my shoulder uh, from the injection. But what was interesting was, as opposed to other vaccines, because it's an intramuscular injection, and I had it done with my daughter, Dr. Catherine Alessi, who's also a neurologist at UConn. So we went down together for our appointment to get it. And it was so painless, the actual injection, physical injection, I didn't even realize if she hadn't seen me get it, I wouldn't know I got it. And that is a theme I keep hearing from people. So I don't know what it is, but the actual injection of the vaccine doesn't hurt at all, as opposed to when you get the flu vaccine. Um, So it was uh, painless. Uh, The system by which it was done at the University of Connecticut was also very efficient. And Because the fact that this vaccine, this is the Pfizer vaccine, has to be kept at low temperatures, they only bring out a certain amount for the scheduled section of that day. So uh, there's a very complex process of thawing, drawing it up, and injecting it. And it's very interesting to see that you really have to be um, so careful with this injection. Uh, I am scheduled to get my second injection on January 6th. And uh, by then, it would take uh, another three weeks after that for me to have um, the full immunity. 
uh, where uh, I would get to that 95% immunity rate. Things to know about the vaccine itself, it's not um, like the old days where they actually injected you with a form of the virus itself. Uh, one of the funny things, I guess, that brought back memories and may for many people listening to this program is uh, you get a vaccine card now. So it's a card in which they mark when you got the dose, um, who administered it. And it brought back memories of my childhood when my mom would bring me for my vaccines and you got this card. It was almost a yellowish kind of card. Um, I don't know why I remember it so vividly. So uh, when you went to get your polio vaccine, it was on the card and marked. And you always needed that card like for school to demonstrate that you got the vaccine. So it's interesting that in the last 60 or so years, uh, we're still using cards, uh, even in this electronic age. Uh, but we also need to remember that we can't abandon what have been good public health practices. And we've talked about this from the first show on COVID, those being identification, isolation, contact tracing, identification, testing, testing, testing. One of the problems is we're still getting into shortages on this testing, right? So people are still lined up for hours and waiting days to get results. And that shouldn't be the case. By now, after all these months into this, we should have a better system of identifying this virus. Isolation, you know, we keep going round and round, uh, lockdowns, non-lockdowns. So people need to be judicious. And I know you've heard it everywhere in the newspaper, on TV, and on this program, and on other radio programs. Travel is not a good thing at this time of year. Gathering with people for meals in large groups is not a good thing. Why? Because you have to take your mask off. You're around other people in a closed environment. And that's where we're seeing the real impetus of this virus growing. So if you understand, when you get immunized, right, you not only don't get symptoms, but the virus has nowhere to live. And that's the important feature here. There's still debate over whether you can spread the virus even though you've been vaccinated. What they're saying now is in the latest vaccine that was approved, Moderna, in some of the extended studies, they found that people who get the virus will not spread it. So uh, that's important. So even if you've been around it, what we've been thinking is even if you've been immunized, it's still living in your nasal passages and you could pass it to someone else. And we're still working off that basis until we get more data. And that's the biggest question is what do we know and what do we not know at this point? But we need to remember still masks, social distancing, washing your hands. And with the hope that we will get more and more vaccine available. Some of the good things, I mean, I started to think about what have we learned in these months? One of the good things is we've learned that we could do a lot more things remotely. I mean, I do this radio program now from my home, um, thanks to the technical innovations. I see patients as well from my home on a snow day. 
because we can now do telemedicine. So those uh, patients who we can service from a medical standpoint remotely, we can. A lot more people are working from remote locations, thus cutting down travel. Uh, again, important that we've learned these things. The other good thing is there's been an, a real increase in medical school applications. Uh, some people have termed this the, the Fauci effect uh, in the sense that people have seen more and more what researchers do, what academic physicians do, and have it's really opened up doors for people in thinking about their career choices. But we're also seeing more students now going into what we call the STEM categories of education, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And this has really been an impetus. I think seeing the country struggle, well, seeing the world struggle, because we're becoming more global than anything right now, I think has provided fertile information for people to start thinking about their futures and for young people. So um, there are some good things that have evolved from this. We're going to take a short break. Uh, later on in this program, my guest is going to be Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford. As many of the regular listeners to this program know, she is an ophthalmologist, a medical doctor who is an eye surgeon and has been a regular guest here. She is uh, the uh, principal and uh, uh, operator of Ratchford Eye Center uh, in Berlin, Connecticut. And we're going to be talking with her. We, you know, we've been trying to get more information on what does practice of medicine, the practice of medicine, look like in a new healthcare delivery environment. Uh, we also love the fact that she always brings with her some of the new innovations in eye care and eye surgery. So we'll be chatting with her later. In the next segment, I'll be taking questions and I'll be answering many of the questions I've been getting on the internet um, through your emails. The email is info at alessimd.com. The call in number is 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and I apologize for the technical difficulties we've been having, and hopefully we can um, hang in here uh, to some extent. One other uh, question I did want to get to on uh, COVID a lot of people have had is, who's going to get it next? Uh, we know now that uh, people who... Um, We know now that uh, people who uh, were uh, uh, getting it were primarily um, healthcare workers and people who lived in nursing homes. And uh, it appears now it appears now that uh, the next uh, stage is is what we are concerned with and who is going to be getting it next. Um, are the discussion really is around is it essential workers who have been uh, had the greatest number of infections or uh, people who are elderly or have comorbid conditions and in those cases um, those are people who uh, will 
um, uh, have more prone to be uh, severely affected by the virus. And I think that that discussion has been ongoing. Uh, this weekend, I think there are ethicists meeting, and it will eventually be up to the states uh, themselves uh, to go from there. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford um, from the Ratchford Eye Center. Um, you're listening to Healthy Rounds on WCIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome my guest today, Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford. Dr. Ratchford, as many regular listeners of this program know, is an ophthalmologist. She's a medical doctor and an eye surgeon and uh, a supporter of our program. Um, she works at and runs the Ratchford Eye Center in Berlin. Uh, Mary Gina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Dr. Lessie. Thanks for having me again. Uh, let's talk a little bit. How has COVID affected your practice? I mean, you have a large private practice. Uh, what changes have you had to make uh, in your office and how uh, you practice medicine? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, it started obviously in March when, uh, you know, we had that sudden shutdown. And, um, you know, it impacted my staff primarily, you know, so a lot of them, you know, when we work in a private practice like us, the, your your staff really becomes like your family. So, um, you know, they really had to be, you know, furloughed or we left what we uh, went with the skeleton crew. So, so that's really, um, you know, been mostly remedied because we're all back to work. Uh, we've had to put a lot of precautions in as most practices do, you know, people wait in their cars and they call when they get here. So we limit the amount of people, you know, often when you get your eyes checked, you need a second driver there because you can't drive after being dilated. So um, that person really has to wait in the car. So we're not having a lot of extra people in our waiting room. Everybody gets, uh, you know, a temperature. Everybody must wear a mask. Um, we've had to put these special shields up in front of our equipment. Um, they're like breath guards uh, since, as you know, when you examine your eye, you really have to get pretty close to somebody to look into that slit lamp. Um, we've modified some appointments so that if you are not having any difficulties and not any symptoms, we sometimes push those visits off a little bit. Um, we've had to uh, wear extra equipment in doing our intravitreal injections. So if you need any kind of uh, treatment in our you know, minor surgery room injections or whatnot, you know, the staff and patients and all our extra equipment. Um, so, you know, it's been, um, and, and then of course, all the extra cleaning that we do, we've got these special sprays that we put into the, um, some of our equipment. Uh, when we examine someone's eyes, you have to sort of put your head into certain machines. So, of course, you worry about the aerosolized particles. So, there's special uh, cleaning solutions and sprays that we use in between every patient. Um, the volume has gotten a little bit uh, less because we uh, have to spend more time in between, you know, cleaning uh, in between patients. Um, so, I have to give my staff a lot of credit. We've all kind of adjusted and patients, you know, understand uh, that, you know, there it's going to be a different way that we you know, that we examine people's eyes. Um, but I think for the most part, I have to say, we've been very fortunate that, you know, we haven't seen a spread of COVID in our office, um, either, you know, among from 
staff to patients or patients to staff. And, and so I think we must be doing something right. Uh, I think you are. And by way of full disclosure, you are my eye doctor. And uh, <laughs> I've been to your office since COVID and uh, never felt um, that anything was being done out of the ordinary from the standpoint that I was vulnerable uh, from the staff or other patients. They're, they're, everybody is distanced or waiting in their car. But, you know, you bring up all the changes that have had to make, but I don't know if people realize that you're not a government agency, so this is adding to the cost of you running your operation. And, and, right. And how do you absorb those costs now? Yeah, you know, that's a, a really good question, you know, because we, like most people, we've had to, you know, spend a lot more in the the cleaning supplies and making sure that our, our staff has the proper equipment in terms of masks and, you know, and shields. Uh, our volume is less, so, of course, that means less income. You know, we've got our optical, which also we have to, you know, limit the amount in there. So, you know, un so unfortunately, some of that just goes to the bottom line, to be honest. Um, we've had some help, of course, with the, the PPP loans that will pay for most uh, of the salaries of our staff. Um, but, yeah, it's going to take a year or two till we sort of recover um, you know, the economic impact of this. And I'm fortunate that I actually have a job and most many people out there who don't have the ability even to, to work. So, you know, we've had to, uh, you know, cut back on some of our equipment that we might purchase. We've had to cut back on, you know, some of those, um, you know, maintenance sort of things that we might have done this year uh, that's just going to have to wait a couple of years before we can get that kind of thing done. So, Mary Jean, I mean, your practice is uh, fairly typical of people in private practice to a certain degree. I mean, you do a lot more procedures. But um, what do you see as the future of private practice uh, as we move through this healthcare environment, uh, single payer and, and things such as that? Do you think private practices are going to survive the system? Yeah, you know, that's a really, really good question. And I've been sort of wrestling with that given you know, the scare that we had with, with COVID. I mean, I, you know, my, my patients don't come in the door for one reason or another, you know, everything shuts down. You know, I still think there's some pros to doing this sort of smaller private practice. I mean, patients really love the feel of still having that doctor-patient relationship. And at the end of the day, that's really what we're there for. You know, we're there to treat our patients in the best way that we can. Um, you know, that sort of personalized care where you can, you know, get the hours that you want and we sometimes have end of the day hours or early hours to accommodate people's schedule and I feel like I have more control over that um, to deliver but unfortunately with all the increased regulations with increased staffing costs you know healthcare costs and all those benefits the cost of the equipment that we need to get now um, you know some of the bigger contract negotiations that as a smaller practice you might not be able to you know have a seat at the table necessarily you know, it's made it, um, you know, really uh, thought-provoking in terms of whether or not, you know, this model will survive. I I still have hope because I, I, I do think, at least from my perspective, I think patients do like that sort of smaller, when, when you know, you know, when the, you know the doctor and that patient relationship is really paramount to, to anything else, you know, whether it's the system or, you know, the, the big corporate model. You know, if we can if we can maintain that patient doctor patient relationship, then I do think that that's going to survive because that's really what the patients want at the end of the day. When uh, we look at 
your surgeries, for example, everyone uses a surgery center now. I mean, right, um, yep. uh, something that was only a concept years ago, really, uh, more than anything. How has that affected? Is, is that my thought is I, I always think that that has produced efficiencies in the system. Um, do you find that as well, that the system is more efficient when multiple surgeons are using one site rather than a hospital? Absolutely. Yeah, that's been a game changer for ophthalmology, and it has been for a while where, you know, our cases are relatively uh, quick. So we can standardize uh, our procedure in terms of how the patient checks in and, you know, that whole preoperative area, the equipment, the medicines that we use, the staffing. Um, So I think that that's been a real a boon to ophthalmology, to our patients, and to the efficiency of the system. Uh, since, you know, you know, back when I was first training as a resident, you know, um, a case would take 30 minutes and we'd have a 30-minute turnover in the OR. You know, now our turnover times can be as quick as 7 to 10 minutes just because we are so efficient in doing what we do. Um, so that's really been been great. And I wonder eventually with some of the newer ways that we do things, whether or not that's also going to translate to maybe setting up a procedure room in the office as opposed to even going to the hospital or a surgery center to be able to do some of those cases in the office. And I think that will improve, you know, efficiencies even more. Does it require then you would have to have anesthesia in the office? Probably. Um, you know, there, there are some, um, some procedures where, you know, we can just give a topical anesthetic or even something oral um, as long as the patient's healthy enough for patients who really do need that extra care. You know, you know, we ophthalmology, we, we operate on all ranges. So, of course, if someone's got some medical or comor- comorbid medical sure. issues, we would need the help of anesthesia. But, you know, for some of the more routine cases, that may be um, that may be what we do. Can you give me a for instance? Because I, I find this fascinating. So what do you think might be a, a a procedure you might do in the future in the office with a topical anesthetic? Yeah. So, um, so for example, in glaucoma. So glaucoma, um, we do, you know, we do a, a eye drops to first lower sure. someone's pressure. The next sort of level of treatment is lasers. And there's lasers that help the fluid to flow out of the eye, which we now currently have in the office. There are lasers that we can do that help reduce the production of fluid. Um, we now take them to the operating room because of anesthesia, but that may be something that we put um, in the office. The main sort of gold standard treatment is something called a trabeculectomy, and that's where uh, we like make an incisional uh, procedure to increase outflow. But there now are these little micro stents that you can put in the eye that are really low profile. Um, you almost just use like a 30 gauge needle to uh, place the stent in there. Um, it's a much quicker procedure. And that may be something that I can envision if you have an operating microscope in your office that you might be able to do that, uh, you know, in the office. Um, there are some newer uh, in cataract surgery, which is obviously the biggest thing that we do. And essentially, we want to take out the old lens and put a new one in. Um, and the actual replacement lens we may have to do in the operating room. But there's now these post-operative adjustments we can do with either uh, a laser or a light that may adjust the power of that lens 
and that would be something that we can transfer to the office so we're not having to do um, modifications afterward. Uh, so I think a lot of those types of things, if we can get them with small incisions that are quicker um, with, you know, really just topical anesthesia that we might not necessarily need in healthy patients, uh, the assistance of a full-fledged anesthesia squad. We're back on this technology challenge segment of Healthy Rounds. Uh, we're chatting with Dr. Mary Gina Ranchford. Uh, Mary Gina, I, I, one of the things I want to talk a little bit about is when we talk about lasers, how, how does the laser work in your practice? Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, so in ophthalmology, multiple, multiple different lasers that we use for different parts of the eye. Um, when we're looking at, you know, diabetes in the eye and there's leaky blood vessels, uh, we essentially want to sort of cauterize those vessels to prevent um, bleeding and to prevent um, proliferation of new blood vessels. That's been that's been for years and years, and that's still sure. you know a pretty common thing that we do. Um, we also do a lot of glaucoma lasers, different type of laser to either open up the drain if someone's at risk for something called angle closure or to improve outflow. We also have a laser that um, when we do cataract surgery, we put an implant in this little membrane. We call it a bag. And sometimes that membrane can cloud, and we do a basically like a touch-up laser procedure to keep the people's vision uh, uh, very uh, – to make it clear again. Now, the, the lasers, PRK, um, those are still lasers that are done at outpatient laser centers just basically because of the capital cost of the equipment. Um, so those are something that are still done as an outpatient, but not every, uh, you know, there's cer certain centers that would focus on that kind of treatment. When it comes to cataract surgery, we do have laser-assisted cataract surgery, and that's with something called the femtosecond laser. And it's, it's basically a super uh, short impulse, JPI. We can correct astigmatism by making uh, small incisions in the cornea. We can make very precise uh, incisions to put our instruments in the eye. And then the main benefit is to soften up that lens as well. So there can be some benefits in a laser-assisted procedure. I do get a lot of questions in the office, you know, can I have laser instead of cataract surgery? Um, so... I just want people to know that the, the laser that we use for cataracts really is a, it, it sits in portions of the procedure, but doesn't replace the main thing we do, which is to remove the old lens and put in a new one. Um, so those are sort of the main things that we do. Now, there's certainly some specialized lasers for certain retinal conditions with certain special dyes that we would use. Um, but a lot of those do lend themselves to, you know, in-office procedures as opposed to, like we were talking about before, taking uh, to a surgery center. Mary Jean, I want to thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, first of all, for your patience putting up with our technical difficulties today. Oh, no problem. But, uh, but I want to especially thank you for all your support for our program and the programming and all the work you do for our community. Oh, no, thank you. You know, I have a lot of patients who listen to this program, so I am uh, grateful to be part of it. So thank you. Thank you very much, and have a great holiday. Yes, you too. Thank you, Dr. Lessie. Thank you. Um, with that... Um, we're going to be uh, signing off. Um, I am uh, 
this is going to be our last program for this year. And uh, with that, I wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a very safe Christmas. And be very careful to try to stay as safe as you can as we continue to attack the COVID-19 virus. This has been Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.